The following podcast is presented in audio format only. Therefore, viewer discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to Unhinged, the podcast that will have you going mental as we talk about life and all its twists and turns. With your hosts, the guys from the Blue Room. Yes, Doug and Ed. And now, Doug and Ed. This is episode number three of Unhinged, where we'll be continuing to discuss Doug's experience with treatment-resistant depression and the radical treatments he's endured and how his fight is continuing through the latest in technological advances. Last podcast, we left off uh, getting into DBS a little bit, um, which, as you just mentioned, it's among the latest uh, current medical research, uh, neuroscience, technology. uh, It's everywhere. And we hear it through mass media with people like director Tony Scott, with uh, Robin Williams, obviously his tragic death. We're talking the same disease here. It's unfortunate that uh, we need a big star like Robin Williams to open people's eyes. Yeah. Because quite frankly, these things are, you know, they're all over. And there's a reason why there's been a massive uh, undertaking of uh, in the fight against mental illness um, before it was shrugged off. Right. And... Part of that is is through no fault of anybody's because predominantly, on the average, about 90% of patients who develop some sort of depression can go to their psychiatrist or even their general practitioner, uh, prescribe a, a simple Prozac, Paxil, uh, whatever it might be, Zoloft, and and uh, and and be fine. Yeah, and quite often can wean off of it at a certain point because it might be a certain part of their lives. They just got divorced. They lost the house, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. It can be circumstantial that can still affect the brain. Uh, Doesn't affect. It's kind of like a, uh, a fender bender where mind has affected the brain in the form of, you know, a massive plane crash. You know, there's a difference and there's a difference in levels. Yeah. Um, but anyways, we'll talk about uh, DBS in all its forms. Um, but uh, before we do that, I want to uh, turn it over to Ed for our news roundup, where we have a good story about Cody Globe, uh, yes. who is an uh, up-and-coming MMA, uh, MMA fighter. Yes, this is an interesting story. Um, apparently, uh, Cody Glode, who's uh, who was a 20-year-old uh, MMA fighter, um, very promising uh, fighter, uh, and also a firefighter uh, as his normal career, uh, committed suicide um, on March 2nd. And he had all the earmarks of uh, uh, having a promising uh, career, a professional career uh, in MMA, which seems to be huge right now. I'm, I'm not a fan personally, um, but uh, he was one of those up-and-coming stars. Uh, yet he decided life wasn't good enough to keep living and committed suicide. I, I think it's gotten very violent with the advent of the UFC especially. And unfortunately, 
Dana White and the CEO Lorenzo Fertitta wouldn't admit this, but you know what? When there's blood and there's guys, you know, it goes back to gladiator days. I mean, people want to see that. Yeah. Unfortunately. But when it comes down to the origins of the UFC and of mixed martial arts, um, we're talking uh, some amazing forms of uh, martial arts that that are not potentially deadly and this gruesome that we see in the UFC. Mm-hmm. You know, jujitsu and karate and 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 um, even forms of uh, Jeet Kune Do from Bruce Lee. So it's uh, you know it's something he might have been a, a student of the real game. Who knows? But one way or another, he obviously was. Uh, uh, that was his thing. That was his talent. Well, it's uh, I. I wonder if, uh, fi- you know, uh, sports like this, like MMA, uh, UFC, does it attract people that uh, potentially, you know, want to hurt themselves and figure this is one way? I, I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing. No, I don't think that's a mindset at all. I think it's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, I think psychological implications are there because whether they want to hurt themselves or really badly want to hurt somebody else um you know they're not they're not that many that are humble there are some that just want to have a good sporting event right like uh, for instance from quebec um and i should remember his name uh, george st george st pierre uh Outside of the ring, the guy is a phenomenon. He cooks, he's laughs, he's he's just a regular guy, mm-hmm. and he really just takes us a very serious sport. And uh, you know, but some other guys are out there to hurt the other guy, right? And vice versa, and uh, you get two bulls going at each <laughs> other with very very thin uh, gloves on. Yeah. Uh, it could be disastrous, and obviously that leads to another topic where the concussions can lead to a lot of neurological. Oh, issues. of course, yes, major. But in uh, in Cody Glode's case, uh, he was diagnosed as depressed and uh, was on medication, uh, but had stopped taking his medication uh, and essentially fell back uh, into a deep depression uh, with no trigger or traumatic event. Well, uh, you're, as a psychiatrist, your first inclination would be, well, he stopped medication mm-hmm. that had actually been proving to work to whatever degree. Uh, and stopping a medication not only, especially that's working, is counterproductive, but also he could have fallen into uh, withdrawal by just stopping if he didn't wean down. So that right. can have a profound effect and actually can cause suicidal tendencies. So so withdrawal from uh, an antidepressant, does that actually, what does that feel like? Does that feel like you're like a, a more depression or? If for a short time, yeah, as your body is adapting, yeah. And it it's oftentimes led to suicides. Um, it, it's just... It's a uh, it's different form than, than a heroin withdrawal or but right. you know things that you wouldn't realize can cause some real you know people got to do their research. I mean what you know you would think the worst withdrawal in the world is heroin. I think I think and this is don't quote me on this but one of the major one of the worst withdrawals to go through is Xanax withdrawal. Really? 
and you would think, well, that should be easy. You know, it's a downer and you're just kind of, you know, weeded down for a few days and you're fine. But no, you can go through some hell. Yeah. And, uh, and nobody wants a panic attack without any recourse. Right. And, uh, and if you're in withdrawal, that, that panic attack could be a lot worse than it should be if you don't wean down a medication. Yes. Medications are very potent. They don't. They have them in very small print. All the the side effects and the dangers and the warnings. Uh, and there have been a lot of um, pharmaceutical salespeople who've quit their jobs and actually come out. You can find them on YouTube, mm-hmm. but have come out and told secrets and things that that the pharmaceutical companies didn't want them to talk about and want them to say. You know and. Um, it's it's a big big business, and you know what comes from that. Yeah. Uh, well, in in Cody's case, uh, this is an an interesting part of this uh, story. He, you know, he stopped medicating and fell back down into a deep depression. Then his family decided, well, he needs help, so they reached out to the mental health uh, helpline. This is in Can- in Canada, in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And there was no immediate assistance. Uh, they called the health line, and what they were told was, well, you should try the emergency room at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's not sufficient for someone going through something like this. Unfortunately, we have a crisis here with health care. Uh, it's free health care here, and there's a lot of major advantages. I wouldn't have been able to have my brain surgery mm-hmm. if I had lived in the States, which I had prior. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's the story we'll get into because it's kind of fateful that I ended up here uh, having the surgery. But um, in the States, uh, by this point, I wouldn't be alive to be talking, you know, talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do get free health care and that covers, uh, you know, pretty much uh, most of, of mental health and mm-hmm. Uh, really, any any kind of help you need is is available. The problem is uh, there's a generally on average a six month waiting list to see a psychiatrist. The hospitals are don't have enough beds. Wow. Um, and um, it's resources, you know. And the problem is growing and growing. And I don't. And sociologically, I have my theories. I mean, if we judge what's on television versus what was on television when we were growing up mm-hmm. there's a big big difference there's a lot of factors involved uh, and in Cody's case you know he's at that age where um, many psychological um, issues are still happening at that age um, a lot of uh, uh, you know cognitive functioning uh, they go on till we're about 25 mm-hmm. uh, and for him to go into such a um, intense sport, probably got pressure from, from family. Right. Uh, I mean, this is not a, a laid back kind of decision, you know, is a, this is probably an intense kid, uh, who's kind of an all or none, you know, um, and probably everyone figured, you know, he's this tough kid, he's a firefighter and a, that doesn't mean anything about his brain, Yeah. you know, and what's really going on inside and, and families uh, don't know how to tap into that or maybe don't spend enough time talking. Right. They, they might be really proud of their son, uh, but they missed the boat somewhere. So it, 
do you think, um, cause I, I've heard this before where people stop medicating because they feel better. They'll, they'll be taking their medication and they're like, Oh, I feel great. That, I don't need medication. That's one of the biggest mistakes. Yes. Because oftentimes that'll happen. And then, and often people do it without their psychiatrist and you should always consult your psychiatrist, uh, whether or not you, you believe in them or not, you think they're a bunch of crap. Um, they have extensive, you know, medical training, especially in the area of psychopharmaceuticals. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I could throw in a cynical remark that that's where the money be. But uh, yes, unfortunately, uh, it is uh, in Canada. When you see a psychiatrist, uh, they don't do much talk therapy. Uh, I've seen some that do absolutely none. My current one really just sort of. He's almost excited to just experiment and try new drugs and new things. And hmm. in my case, in my case especially, because we're grasping at straws trying to find any solution. Sure. To, you know, and this is, uh, admittedly, from my doctor, just way beyond his expertise level, and he's been practicing for decades. Uh, but you don't run into uh, this these severe cases very often. Yeah. Well, uh, Cody Glode actually um, did go to the emergency room uh, when he they couldn't get immediate assistance, um, and they actually ended up prescribing medication, uh, and he was only allowed to take you know a certain amount a week, uh, and they he was told to follow up with his family doctor, uh, and so what they what they ended up doing was uh, scheduling a an appointment to see a psychologist mm-hmm. um but the earliest appointment was not until the end of april and mm-hmm. he never made it it was too long for him to have to wait and uh he had gotten too far down so unfortunately we don't know the inner details we don't know if the uh referring doctor waited too long didn't take it seriously enough you know um right. There's a lot that can go wrong no matter how much education you have. I think I'd have a good instinct. Uh, I'd kind of find a f- my, my, probably my the arms on my – or I'd get goosebumps or the hairs on my arm would, would rise, you know, thinking, ah, I don't feel good about this one. And I'd mm-hmm. call her right in. But who knows who he was dealing with. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, when he stopped the medication, I mean, I can see this, this young kid is like feels invulnerable. So I don't have to worry about this mind crap. I'll deal with that later. They'll probably knocked out of me in the ring anyways. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but uh, you know, they all create side effects, uh, these medications. Mm-hmm. And no fighter in training wants to feel bad in any way. He wants to feel strong, invincible, and that nothing can, can, can hurt him. So, yeah. I, you know, the fact that he came off medications is no surprise to me. And maybe a big surprise to his family, who he may not involved in that decision. Right. Well, our hearts go out to the Glode family uh, for their loss. And uh, it's terrible. It's it's, terrible. it's it's terrible. And and hopefully this will uh, help uh, Nova Scotia actually get some uh, better uh, help options, uh, especially when they they try to you know call for uh, a mental health helpline and need immediate help and they don't get it. 
Uh, oh, and I, and I don't I don't worry about that. I have full faith. Uh, and now that um, Trudeau is is in office, mm-hmm. um, it's it's uh, the fight is there, and um, there's a lot more resources here. I think for mental health and more tr- clinical clinical trials and important research being done here uh, than in the states. Yes, uh, there's more research being done in 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 all parts of Europe, in Denmark and Sweden and all over the place. Right. Uh, the states are going to be behind in that because you know what it costs money. Exactly. And, and, and line, you know. that's what we struggle with uh, here in the United States um, <laughs> is the is healthcare because you need to be covered. You need insurance because it's just too expensive. You know, pharmaceuticals are, are ridiculous here. This is why people go to Canada to buy their their drugs. I um, think it's – I think – the the medic the uh, the healthcare system in America is just as disgusting as when you see a a, a restaurant, especially a, just sort of a neighborhood walk by a restaurant, have a sign saying you know um, restroom for customers only. Mm-hmm. You know everybody has to. Um, Everybody and defecate. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there, it's inhumane to have something like that. It's ridiculous. So both are, are, are you know, ridiculous. Yeah, there, there's, there needs to be a happy medium, obviously. Um, uh, I think, you know, there's, there's something to be said about uh, having money involved to some degree um, as incentives for some, you know, but... Still, it's we here are being raped essentially when it well, comes to. Well, if I to... if I might quote a classic, it's an inalienable right. Yes, and we shouldn't even have to say that. We shouldn't have to put it on paper. We shouldn't. Even, it should be a, you know, an unspoken rule. Mm-hmm. You know, because people get old, they get sick, and it's just. And of course, we're producing food that makes people sick. Yep. Drugs that make people sick. I mean, most foods that I can afford as somebody on disability, uh, pretty much all I can afford are processed foods. Right. And uh, those are, you know, much more likely to kill me than getting fresh. Um, organic. Not necessarily, organi- or, not necessarily yeah. organic, but at least not, not processed. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I set my, myself to a fancy meal, a KD, you know, I'm dealing with powdered cheese. Yeah. Now that should tell you right there, you know, <laughs> or Burger King is selling a, a burger for one twenty nine. Yeah. What does it cost them to beef and all the fixins? <laughs> if it's cost them thirty cents, there's something wrong there. Yeah. Well, let's not get too political here. Um, we're here to yeah. discuss uh, mental health issues. Um, and hopefully uh, things will improve uh, in Nova Scotia so that things like that don't happen again. Yeah. Uh, and and hopefully that's, that holds true for everywhere else. And um, that's the point is awareness, teaching awareness and having podcasts like ours that um, can educate people and make them realize uh, how serious these things are and how communication is Utterly important. Yes. Amongst friends, amongst family, and uh, we can avoid some of these things because these are not things you don't see it just like they're in a wheelchair. We can see they have a problem. Right. right. You can't see it. Uh, so there are people like we were talking about comedians. Uh, you you know you hear you see a great routine, and then two days on the news, the guy overdosed with heroin. 
Yeah. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman came off a Golden Globe Capote um, performance and then overdoses on heroin. Uh, yeah. He didn't do that for fun. He had an underlying mental health issue. You don't see it. And, uh, well, and as, as unfortunate as it is, um, in a way it's a, it's a positive thing to get the message out when people in the public spotlight are hit by this. Robin Williams, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, even Cody Glode here, an up and comer, uh, you know, it makes the news because of who they are and, and trying to get the, any positive out of it, at least for me is, Hey, we're getting the message out. People are, are starting to hear about it more because these are famous people. It's really unfortunate. It happens to anybody. Uh, but the fact that they're famous brings it a little bit more into the, the spotlight, uh, which in, in a way is kind of a positive thing. Well, and we talk sort of idealistically, but frankly, I've mentioned, you know, a few names already that I felt I had to mention for effect. And mm -hmm. this is our culture. This is the way we, we uh, have, our society has um, built itself. Yep. And we get a lot of it from media. And, and again, media is stimulation. That's yes. why they hit you with these shocking headlines and big graphics. And again, well, I go back to stimulation. The, the big, well, what's the saying? If it bleeds, it leads. And that's, that's right. That's what they say. And that's, that's, that's the truth. Right. If you watch the news, that's what it is. That's um, right. I mean, Charlie Rose is brilliant. So it doesn't matter. You know, it actually is more intellectual and, and delves more into real topical discussion. Yeah. But, but it's kind of like, you know, watching a snail crawl than, <laughs> you know, watching a big guy riding a bull. Right. You know? Yeah. We, we want all the, the flash and the, you know, everything all the time. We need that stimulation. That's why it's so important to, for people to be properly educated. Yes. Um, and so they can make, you know, they can extrapolate what's the, the BS, uh, you know, attention getters rather than, you know, than the real meat of the story. Right. Speaking of education, uh, let's educate our listeners on DBS. Now, this is what you're currently uh, doing. This is the treatment you're currently um, uh, doing for uh, trying to help your treatment-resistant depression. They'll uh, get it out. Yeah, They'll I'll get, get it, it out. out. <laughs> what, <laughs> tell us what DBS is, what it stands for, and what, yeah. what you're... Yeah. It's, it's uh, in layman's terms, again... Uh, it's been labeled uh, or called the brain pacemaker, if you will. And that's pretty much uh, because of the setup of it. Um, just as a recap, you know, I suffer from treatment-resistant depression, a.k.a. severe intractable, uh, intractable depression. Um, tried all the, the, you know, the very... The only thing I never tried was RTMS, and that's... Uh, hooking magnets to your head and using magnetic energy. But I had already tried electroconvulsive therapy, which sort of was a step past it. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, they know that the, the, um, the RTMS wouldn't be uh, enough for me. Um, but unfortunately, my TRD is very chronic. So the major barrier right now is fighting to maintain some semblance of hope. Right. Um, but currently, I, I'm one of 40... Um, uh, patients, people involved in this deep brain stimulation clinical trial in Toronto, 
by the United Health Network, uh, and also sponsored by St. Jude. Um, my neurosci- uh, my neurosurgeon um, is Dr. Andres Lozano, uh, who's very well known. You can see we actually have a clip of him uh, coming up later in the show, but uh, you can see him on YouTube. His many talks about uh, neurology in general and DBS and neurosurgery, etc. Um, on TED, uh, on various other uh, video sites. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the difference in the study here is it was originally uh, Helen Mayberg, Dr. Helen Mayberg, uh, who's uh, head of uh, neuroscience at Emory University now in Atlanta. She originally was here in Toronto working with Dr. Lozano, uh, trying to, to um, you know, work on this specific area of the brain that's going to be targeted, but the procedure in general. Uh, and there's, of course, a, another whole team of doctors involved. Uh, it's a 12-hour brain surgery that I had in 2013 where they plant uh, two electrodes, one on each side of the frontal lobe, um, and the, uh, the area that they found uh, to target, and you know, of course, we know uh, less around the brain than we do know about the brain. Um, right. But somehow, Helen Mayberg was able to pinpoint an area in the frontal lobe called the cingulate gyrus, and it's quote-unquote area 25. It's almost alien-like, yeah. <laughs> but it is a very specific part of the frontal lobe um, and triggering um, and trying to activate that part of the brain uh, is the hope. And that, you know, there are other studies around um, North America and Europe that are focusing on other parts, uh, specifically the limbic system and uh, other parts of the brain. So that's where they they they'll put the uh, the electrode in a different area in the brain. Yeah, and, and really how it works is um, you have uh, a, a neurotransmitter um, which contains a power source of the DBS system, and that generates and controls the therapy stimulation. Um, so it's implanted just under the skin in the upper chest area, and you can feel it sort of jutting out. It's not. Uh, it's in the right side, not where a pacemaker would be, um, where your heart is, where your mm-hmm. chest, the, the left side of your chest. And then there's an extension a set of thin wires covered with a protective coating that protects the lead uh, to the neurostimulator, which is connected to the, uh, the end of the lead just behind the ear. Um, and the doctor decides the best placement, but I can feel behind my earlobe the collection of wires and where they're sort of tied together, almost like if you tied a tie or, you know, those electrical ties around a bunch of wires that you have into your outlet or your uh, electronic equipment. And I can feel that. I can actually feel on my neck, you know, the wires going up my neck from my chest. So I feel, oh, it's a vein. No, that's a wire. You know, it's pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that they'll add uh, maybe Wi-Fi and cable to my uh, setup here <laughs> eventually. So there's uh, some, but... Um, and then you know, the electrodes is... that are that are in your skull, in your brain, basically, do you feel those? Can you see those from the outside? 
Well, you end up with two big humps, big horns, almost like a junior rhino. <laughs> if I and and a big smiley face underneath it, which pretty much is the circumference of your skull. So you know they had to obviously open a big hole to get these bilateral electrodes because it's on both sides of my head. Right. Both triggering in singular gyres, both from the right and the left side. Um, and I believe there are people who've had just single implants, similar to the uh, electroconvulsive therapy, where some people have the shock only on one side, where I had bilaterally. Um, but uh, the remaining length of these cords is it's, it's under the skin, uh, you know, again, down the neck to the chest, um, you know, and that's. Uh, the lead is a set of thin wires covered with that coating, yeah. um, and it's it's about four inches of the leads are implanted inside the brain. The rest of the lead, which is about 15 inches, is implanted under the skin, as mm. I said. And um, whether a patient has one or two leads depends on their medical condition, because as I mentioned, DBS is used not only for treatment-resistant depression, but it's been used for successfully for dystonia, which is a, a major balance issue, um, Parkinson's, mm -hmm. Alzheimer's with great success. Uh, they're even using it for uh, anorexia with success. Hmm. Um, and the latest I've read is binge eating. Um, oh, so I might, I might need that then. <laughs> uh, I don't think you qualify in that oh. respect. Um, but it's been it's been quite uh, an interesting ride, and you know well, as we'll probably talk about in a different podcast. I did have uh, an amazing uh, miracle sort of cure, if you will. But then I uh, three months later relapsed and have uh, and it's not come back since. So let's let's take a listen here to uh, a short clip from uh, Doctor Andres Lozano explaining DBS. Yes, and that is that is my neurosurgeon who works here in Toronto. He's the head of uh, neurosurgery for all of UHN, which are three hospitals combined. And he holds the patent to this technology along with Helen Mayberg in, in Emory. So if this in the States, it would be the FDA here. It's Health Canada uh, approves this uh, as a regular procedure, obviously, um, they stand to profit and uh, so so they're they're the only ones who can actually perform this surgery. Uh, this particular study in these particular parameters in this particular area of the brain, mm. I believe. So I can't be positive on that, but, okay. but this is an exclusive study. It's not the first study, and there's been about a hundred people who've who've been through this, and there are people who've passed away from it through mm -hmm. complications is is a you know limited amount or a small percentage of complications like right. you know uh but but for the most part then there's been a couple of suicides and a couple of issues but for the most part it's so far been uh successful for a lot of people at least to bring them and all they really expected when they started is to bring people from that severe category where you are just paralyzed Mm -hmm. To at least a moderate to severe, at least yeah, mild to moderate to severe, um, you know, uh, any it, any improvement helps. It's amazing that you go through such links to the point where you get brain surgery only in the hopes of 
just getting down to, uh, you know, just taking the edge off. It's not necessarily a complete cure for everybody. And some have. And again, I did for three months and it was it was yeah. an unbelievable miracle. And we'll get into that another show because I yeah. think that that really will spark a lot of. I mean, it's a very positive thing, and I have some amazing, amazing observations I can share with you that people, and you could as well, take for granted in your regular lives. Right, sure. When you go through that kind of experience. I mean, it's, you know, you know I'm not a religious person, but it's it's like this born-again, yeah. unbelievable experience. Well, I remember uh, that during that time, uh, discussions w- with you were very different, very positive. I mean, I, I and. But but I had every part of my brain working. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was on. I mean, I know at times I sound manic, but that's the way you get when you've been locked in a cage for 40 years. Right, right. You know? So I was just like a baby. I just wanted to touch everything and feel everything and learn everything. And just everything was amazing. Everything was beautiful. Yeah. You know? and, and and that should, you know, that's the hope in the for the future is to get yeah, there again. Yeah, and before you bring that clip, I just want to say that where I got to this point is I'm lucky to have my main, uh, my general psychiatrist, who's sort of played the Lee Eisen role, because I told you he's admittedly said this is above his, um, is sort of, um, this is above his means. Right. He just doesn't run into these kind of clients. Uh, but we were going on with therapy as I've done for years and years, everywhere I moved with every psychiatrist I worked for, at least 10. Uh, but going over the same talk therapy over and over and just going around in circles. And I got to one point where I went in one day, I was already just numb. The, elect- the ECT didn't work. I was just ready to give up. And all of a sudden he says, you know, I, I know this the, the head of UHN Psychiatry, um, and that's Dr. Kennedy, um, and he happened to know him, and that's very hard to know, the head of UHN who goes mm-hmm. and speaks in India and all over the world, and he said, uh, they're doing this latest thing, but I got to tell you, it's brain surgery, and I didn't even hesitate. I said, yep, sign me up. Get me in there if you can. Do what you can. And you didn't even flinch. Had- no, and I didn't care. It's like I was numb. Brain surgery, who cares? Most people who are approached with the idea of brain surgery, they're like, whoa, we got oh, yeah. like, uh, a couple of months to think about this. Me, it was like, I don't care because I was ready to kill myself. You know, it was over. And Yeah, uh, in, your, in your mind, what did you have to lose? Nothing. Yeah. So and, might and as so well I, try. I, I guess I felt a touch hopeful that, wow, there's this thing. I didn't feel the fear about it until, of course, I got harnessed into this big metal cage, which we can talk about another time. Mm-hmm. But um, the bottom is I was numb, and, and I think it was just a week later where he said, I got you in. And, you know, I'm lucky to be able to, to, have, uh, to have met a guy uh, like Dr. Murray Ehrlich here in Toronto, who's a great psychiatrist, um, you know, even though he's not help, uh, able to help me with as far as it's gone, he's been, uh, you know, a great support system. And luckily he knows people. Yeah. And, and it's it's great that he was championing you uh, to be part of the study. He's really one of those psychiatrists where it's not, he doesn't, it just, he's not that robot. He's got both sides. He won't show it all because he can't, you know, you right. just... 
can't get that involved with your patient, especially something like this where he knows he can get a call at any time that, that you know, your patient committed suicide. That's got to be hard. But you can see the side of him that, like, he just wants to help me. He cares. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, and I'm lucky. So here's uh, a quick clip of Dr. Andres Lozano explaining uh, the concept of uh, DBS. So what we've been able to do is to pinpoint where these disturbances are in the brain, and we've been able to intervene within these circuits in the brain to either turn them up or turn them down. So this is very much like choosing the correct station on the radio dial. Once you choose the right station, whether it be jazz or opera, and in our case, whether it be movement or mood, we can put the dial there, and then we can use a second button to adjust the volume. So what I'm going to tell you about is using the circuitry of the brain to implant electrodes and turning areas of the brain up and down to see if we can help our patients. And this is accomplished using this kind of device, and this is called deep brain stimulation. So what we're doing is placing these electrodes throughout the brain. These are, again, we are making holes in the skull about the size of a dime, putting an electrode in, and then this electrode is completely underneath the skin, down to a pacemaker in the chest. And with a remote control, very much like a, a television remote control, we can adjust how much electricity we deliver to these areas of the brain. We can turn it up or down, on or off. Yeah, Lozano's great. He really... Uh... He's a great speaker. I recommend anyone to go to TED, to YouTube, uh, whatever it might be, and, um, and search Andres Lozano, A-N-D-R-E-S-L-O-Z-A-N-O, Z for those people in the States, um, and uh, check him out. He has a good way of, of um, you know, putting things into layman's terms, but at the same time, uh, really educating you on on how the brain works and what they're trying to accomplish. It, it really um, is is quite amazing because to me it's like I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking this is like science fiction. This is what you see in movies where they put in something in your brain and you know can control you or whatever. It's not to that degree, obviously, but uh, it's just it's amazing that they that this technology even exists. Yeah, and he gave me time when we met each time. Uh, and was very, you know, again, I had the humane side, but, but he didn't get into specifics. So when I got in there for that 12-hour surgery, you know, I didn't know that they were going to put this big metal cage over my head and literally drill it with the drill and screws, drill it into the front of my head on both sides. And it goes on from there. It gets worse from there. But uh, I guess that's something you have to... You know, you don't want to scare people and make them nervous. So uh, they were good about while it was going on. Hey, how you doing? Everything okay? But to hear the sound of drilling, and you know it's hmm. not going to build a house. It's going into your skull. It's uh, It was pretty nerve-wracking. I bet. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. get nervous if I hear the drill at a dentist's office, and that's just for the teeth. <laughs> yeah. So the rest of the story, you're probably going to throw up a couple of times. But we should get through it uh, maybe in the next podcast. But, uh, but I think we've covered a lot of, of uh, ground here and given people a much better frame of reference on what's going on. And again, to give the people out there who especially suffer from this uh, resistant type of depression, there is hope if you've taken a lot or all the meds and you've had, even if you've had electric 
shock therapy and you've been in the hospital there are, you know the technology that's coming around and the effort that they're making uh, the money they're putting into it at least here in Canada there is hope if I can keep going this long you can do it and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold says so <laughs> well Sorry. I mean that I stole that <laughs> oh really that's not yours <laughs> no I mean that that actually it it should mean a lot. I mean, just the fact that you've been through so much, uh, you've tried so many treatments, pretty much you've tried almost everything that's out there. Uh, and, and for you to, to keep trying, I mean, like, like you said, you're, you're still not a hundred percent. Um, you've had, no, no, I'm about 10%. I'm in a really bad way right now. And you would know it. Cause again, I put a good face on, but mm -hmm. I'm one of the few that's this, severely uh, uh, resistant. Most people really can get through this and do very, very well with this. Yes. So um, know that the, the help is out there. If you need any help at all, you'll be able to write to us uh, on our website, on our blog, and uh, you know you're going to get some good answers, some good resources, whatever you need. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put up... It. We'll put up links to uh, Dr. Lozano's um, TED Talks and uh, other articles uh, on the blog. And I have got a lot of good, uh, helpful resources that uh, we'll get up there. And we want your feedback. Uh, we're going to have tweets set up so that you can uh, uh, ask questions that we can answer for you uh, as fast as possible. Well, guess what that sound means? It's the end of our podcast day. We appreciate you listening again. Uh, thanks, Ed, for being a great friend who's interested in uh, learning what just what the hell is going on with me uh, and always being there for me. Absolutely. I mean, I find it extremely interesting, especially since it's affecting you, and that affects me. Well, everyone else out there, we got a lot more for you, so stick around and make sure you listen to the next podcast from unhinged.